This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America, brought to you through the cooperation of the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, and Link TV. And now, here's host Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse, presidential resignation and presidential election, all in the same week in Guatemala. We'll discuss all the political upheaval, but first, Natalie Ottinger has our details on the presidential change, along with the rest of our weekly review of news from around Latin America. Guatemala's President Otto Perez Molina resigned this week, forced out of office by a corruption scandal. A series of protests beginning in April focused attention on the scandal, which involved kickbacks and discounts on customs fees. Prosecutors believe officials made about $4 million in the scheme, with Bérez Molina pocketing about a million dollars. Prosecutors played tapes in court this week that they say prove the president profited, along with others in his administration. Guatemala's Attorney General, Thelma Aldana, says despite Guatemala's history, the current justice system will pursue cases against anyone who has broken the law. In our country, no one is above the law. Consequences exist. That's the message for all politicians, present and future. Earlier this year, Vice President Roxana Baldetti also resigned due to the scandal. Like former President Perez Molina, she is in custody facing official charges. Also, earlier this year, Perez Molina appointed Alejandro Maldonado to serve as vice president. Maldonado now serves as interim president until January. By coincidence, Guatemala's presidential election is scheduled for this weekend. We'll have more on the political upheaval in Guatemala later on this program. So far, every month this summer has proved more deadly than the last in El Salvador. And August was no exception. More than 900 people died as a result of murder in August, a rate of about 30 homicides a day. The government has called out army troops to help the police in a clash with two of the toughest street gangs in the world. But so far, they have not been able to stop the gang warfare, and dozens of police officers and members of the military have lost their lives in the fight. The United Nations still lists Honduras as the most violent country in the world, with the world's worst homicide rate. However, some experts predict the violence in El Salvador will surpass its neighboring country by the end of the year. Federal troops also waded into violent land protests in Brazil this week. The government dispatched thousands of troops to ranch lands in southern Brazil near Paraguay. A thousand members of the Guarani Kaiwa indigenous group occupied ranches in the area as part of a protest that began last month. Ranchers reacted by shooting at the protesters, killing one of their leaders. Brazilian courts ruled a decade ago that the land belongs to the indigenous groups, not the ranchers. But the ranchers have yet to give back the land. And so far, the government has not forcibly evicted them. Officials in the federal government have apologized to the indigenous group and are trying to negotiate a peaceful end to the conflict. Mark Twain once famously said, reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. Well, he could have been speaking for the Oswey Stubfoot Toad, thought to be extinct for the past 13 years. Several groups of scientists report sightings of the toad in the mountain rainforest of Ecuador this year. Scientists thought a fungus had wiped out the toads. 
the same fungus that has caused a decrease in amphibian groups worldwide. The toads range in color from lime green to bright orange and were once common in Ecuador and other parts of the Amazon, but now they can only be found on a few mountains in the jungle. For Latin Pulse, I'm Natalie Ottinger. Thanks, Natalie. And now our focus this week on the political changes in Guatemala. Just to recap, President Perez Molina is out. Alejandro Maldonado is in as the new president until January. Former Vice President Roxana Baldetti, like Perez Molina, is now in jail. Political change moved quickly this week as Guatemala's Congress started impeachment proceedings and the country's top court ordered Perez Molina would be restricted from leaving the country. When the country's attorney general requested the president's arrest, Perez Molina decided to resign instead of subjecting the country to seeing a sitting president in handcuffs. We asked Adriana Beltran at the Washington Office on Latin America, or WOLA, for her analysis. Beltran is WOLA's expert on Guatemala and Central America. She joined us via Skype from Washington, D.C. You know, I've been following this issue very closely for many years, uh, but in particularly since um, April uh, when the International Commission Against Impunity um, commonly known as CSIG and the Public Prosecutor's Office, first um, unearthed one of the most massive corruption scandals in Guatemala. Um, this was um, a scandal involving a customs fraud ring, um, which uh, reached the highest levels of government, uh, a system that had been put in place essentially for importers to be able to uh, pay lower taxes, um, import taxes. Um, it was a case that, you know, led to the May resignation of the vice president, Roxana Valdetti. And a few weeks ago, um, the public prosecutor's office and the CSIG, uh, following, you know, their investigations and documentation, uh, evidence that they had gathered since April, um, announced that they had um, enough evidence to allege that both Roxana Valdetti and President Otto Perez Molina um, were involved in this corruption scandal. Um, that, you know, has led since April to a number of protests um, in Guatemala on a weekly basis that have gathered just uh, an enormous number of Guatemalans calling for change in the country. There was a national strike on August 27th um, that brought together uh, over 100,000 Guatemalans in the capital alone. Uh, a big push um, and calls for his resignation. Um, earlier this week, uh, or last week, the um, Supreme Court allowed for the impeachment process to commence. Um, we saw the uh, congressional committee established that has to oversee first and analyze the case and recommend to the Congress whether or not to lift his prosecutorial Im immunity. Amidst a lot of pressure, they moved forward, uh, recommended to lift it. Uh, Congress, through again a lot of pressure, uh, voted to lift his immunity. Um, last night when I went to bed, um, last that I had seen was uh, the public prosecutor's office make statements that they were going to ask or request an order of apprehension that uh, be issued. Um, I was thinking that, you know, his days were counted, but was not expecting to uh, wake up to the news that he had resigned. What do you think informs this particular decision? Certainly Congress stripping his immunity was, was pushing this, 
this impeachment process forward. But um, some might ask, what, what is the point of resignation when there are only a few more months left in someone's term? Well, you know, this is unprecedented um, in Guatemala. I mean, I think also, you know, once uh, the immunity had been lifted, um, another um, issue that I forgot to mention was, in fact, uh, the president's defense had uh, submitted or presented two uh, motions um, uh, challenging uh, the process. Um, yesterday, the Constitutional Court ruled on both of those um, and ruled against um, Otto Perez's defense. Um, and so that essentially just gave the green light for the process to move forward without any kind of challenge. Um, once, you know, the uh, public prosecutor's office announced that they were um, going to move forward with uh, requesting the apprehension order, um, they also requested uh, an order so that he not be allowed to leave the country, and that one was um, issued by a judge yesterday. So I think, you know, um, it, it, it would have, the message that it would have sent, I think, in his, I would uh, assume in his decision making was to have a, a sitting president uh, be be judged for corruption and be brought to justice, um, and at that point, um, just opting to uh, to resign. As you said, the Washington Office on Latin America, WOLA, has worked for years to um, lobby for more transparency and less corruption in Guatemala, among other countries in, in Latin America, but Guatemala being very high on the top of that particular list. And, and so I wonder what your reaction, what reaction of your organization is is to what's happening there now. What's happening and what's been happening is a, a true testament um, to uh, the efforts of so many Guatemalans. Um, it's it's just a, it's an amazing victory um, for Guatemalans um, today. Um, an amazing victory for those that um, had hoped and that you know wanted a change um, in Guatemala. And to see uh, just over the last 19 weeks. Uh, the coming together of um, just so many Guatemalans from different walks of life, um, students, families, kids, campesinos, the private sector, um, for all these you know sectors to be able to overcome many differences, um, to be able to just join forces in a, in a common uh, agenda and a common call uh, to uh, you know for an end to corruption, for an end to the impunity that has uh, for so long characterized Guatemala, and to say you know we we want to change, we don't want to maintain the status quo. Um, I think it's impressive. I think it it talks a lot about you know the environment that so many um, courageous Guatemalans have been working towards. Um, you know, of the work of the CC, of the public prosecutor's office, of judges that courageously have have tried to provide this opportunity uh, for change to take place. As you mentioned, uh, common Guatemalans had a, a role in this. That So it's uncommon usually in, in Guatemala to have this sort of protest movement in the streets. Um, there are historic moments when that has happened, but unlike other parts of Latin America, Guatemalans don't tend to express themselves in this particular way. And so th this is also a victory for, for the protest movement in Guatemala. Does it also speak to democracy? It does. You know, I think, as you mentioned, um, you know, one of the legacies of, of the conflict and just the, the level of repression that um, Guatemalans um, faced during the conflict, you know, there was just an element of fear um, that you saw of why Guatemalans just never um, really mobilized and took to the streets to this level. And just to see, you know, a new generation with a lot of hope 
um, start a movement um, and to be able to just, you know, see the number of people that kind of overcame that fear um, and wanted to just uh, take, you know, control of, uh, of their country and pave a new road um, is, is truly impressive. Um, and Guatemalans, you know, should feel proud today of what they've been able to achieve. Um, I think it's also sending a very strong message that um, the rule of law can prevail. Um, everything has been done very peacefully. Um, due process, you know, has, you know, they, they haven't violated any due process or human rights violations. Um, and so I think it's impressive in, in, in sending a message that, you know, you can overcome and challenge corruption, um, that a justice system can be transformed, and that you can't have a system where no one is above the law. The United Nations, the commission that, that, that has been set up to deal with, with these corruption issues, that they're a United Nations commission, so how much credit does that commission get in, in uncovering these cases of corruption? You know, I think the CC uh, was a major player, uh, you know, in unearthing uh, these corruption scandals. But, I, you know, you also have to recognize and highlight that, you know, one of the key characteristics of the CC is that, you know, it works hand in hand with local institutions. So its its job is not to come and take over, uh, you know, responsibilities of local institutions, but rather to work with them. And throughout these eight years, you know, the CC has been working hand in hand with the public prosecutor's office and with other institutions. And so I think this is a testament to um, the uh, achievements um, that CC working with very courageous Guatemalans have been able to achieve. Um, and to recognize, you know, that the cases um, that have been brought forward and all these actions that you see, legal actions, um, have been led by the public prosecutor's office with the support of CSEEC. So I'm, I'm wondering about where we go from here in Guatemala. We have a, um, a caretaker president who was the vice president. Isn't he, too, tied to the old power structure and oligarchy that, that was the same for the, the former president, Otto Perez Marlina? It's a new Guatemala, and as many Guatemalans have um, highlighted in social media, um, this is only beginning. Um, I think, you know, Guatemalans are aware of what they've achieved, but also aware of, of uh, you know, what, what has to happen next, and that there's a long road ahead um, to truly transform their country. So I know for, in a, for a fact that there are a number of sectors um, that are working right now uh, together on defining a very short-term anti-corruption agenda that they hope to push um, in the next several months before there's a change in government. And I would hope that, you know, given this momentum that I don't think it's um, going to die anytime soon, um, that um, I think the message has been clear to politicians in Guatemala. And, and I'm hoping that, you know, um, uh, Maldonado, as he assumes the presidency, um, that they will, uh, con you know, answer um, the calling of, of Guatemalans and support uh, this uh, short-term uh, reform agenda. I think it's key um, that, um, you know, both the international community, the U.S. government support that agenda in the months that we have. Um, you know, before there was there were a number of proposals that had also been uh, put forth, um, looking at uh, deeper uh, reforms um, regarding the electoral law, uh, but the you know, also the you know the judicial body, 
um, police reform, um, you know, different reforms that need to take place. The CC had been working also um, with others on a much broader justice reform agenda. So I think as we look longer term is how do we take advantage of, like I said, this opening. Um, and that, you know, hopefully if we um, are supportive and, and can continue to uh, support the efforts of those in Guatemala that are trying to bring about a true transformation uh, um, of the country. Thank you so much, Adriana Beltran of the Washington Office on Latin America, WOLA, our guest today on Latin Pulse, joining us via Skype from Washington, D.C. Thank you. Thank you. This planet we call Earth, abundant with new food, new cures, new life, an amazing place. Please don't let it vanish without a trace. Call for your free World Wildlife Fund Action Kit with 10 simple things you can do to help leave our children a living planet. Call 1-800-C-A-L-L-W-W-F. Welcome back to Latin Pulse. This weekend, voters in Guatemala will try to give some direction to the country's political system, sorting through a field of 14 candidates to come up with the person who can restore order on a roiling political system. Manuel Boldizan of the right-wing leader party finished second the last time Guatemalans voted for president, and he's been the frontrunner this political season. But the field also includes a former first lady, the daughter of a former dictator, and a television comic, among others. And corruption has also affected this race, as Edhar Barkin, Baldizon's running mate, stands accused of being part of a group that accepted illegal campaign donations and may have routed tens of millions of dollars in payoffs to banks in China, the U.S., and Colombia. We asked Julie Lopez, an independent journalist with Guatemalan website Plaza Publica, to give us some context on the election during this time of political disruption. Lopez is the author of Herardi death in God's neighborhood, about the murder of a Guatemalan archbishop. She joined us via Skype from Guatemala City. And of note, this interview was conducted just before the resignation of President Perez Molina this week. The vice presidential candidate is also um, being investigated linked to corruption charges and money laundering. So um, what would happen is if the candidate is elected, is, this is Manuel Baldison, who has who is the most popular for now in comparison to the other candidates. If he's elected and then his vice president is um, accused or charged with um, with uh, corruption or, or money laundering, uh, we will see a repeat of the situation with Roxana Valdetti, where the elected president will have to choose another vice president, and then his original vice president will be subject to a criminal investigation and perhaps even um, thrown in prison. So this vice presidential candidate for the leader party, is he connected to some of these other scandals that uh, the vice president, Baldetti, has been accused of being part of the the, the customs scandal or, or any of the other real estate scandals that have that have uh, really brought people out in the streets in Guatemala to demand an answer to this corruption? Uh, not that we know of. The only um, the only link is that uh, he was investigated by the International Commission Against Impunity. And uh, when this commission uh, 
released its report on the financing of political campaigns. Um, this was, I believe, in May or June. Um, then they connected him to, uh, his name is Edgar Barquin. He used to be head of the, it's the Banco de Guatemala, the Guatemalan Bank, which is the central bank. And uh, he was also uh, linked to an office that's uh, in charge of, of uh, investigating uh, money laundering cases. And he's linked to uh, illegal financing to uh, one of the parties and also two other congressmen, one of them his brother and the other one uh, a congressman for another party, are also being subject to an investigation by the same judge. Uh, the judge originally has 60 days which will be uh, for, to investigate and decide whether they should be prosecuted or not. And the 60 days end uh, in the middle of September. He could decide that they are subject, they should be subject to investigation after they have been, uh, at least the candidate to the vice presidency has been elected to that position. So um, this, of course, creates a lot of uncertainty only a few days before the election. So it, it provides a, cer uh, a certain instability in the sense of people not knowing what's really going to happen. And if you're going to see a ballot where one or two of the parties are out of the race. We see now 14 different candidates running for office. It seems like the field gets gets bigger every time we talk to you. To win in this weekend's election, someone has to get more than 50% of the vote. Manuel Baldizon is leading in all the polls, but some polls put him at 25%, some at 31 It doesn't seem that, that one person is going to be able to win in this first round. All of the electoral processes or elections in, in recent years or decades always uh, go to a, a second round, So, which is the with the two candidates that receive the most votes. So um, it's, I don't think, they ha it's been a long time, decades probably, that a candidate has won in the first round. Uh, this would take us to elections, um, again, only for president sometime in November. The last time we talked, we, we didn't talk about Jimmy Morales, who tends to be listed as the number two in the polls of right around 20%, 21%. He is the leader of the National Convergence Front. He has a background in television there in Guatemala. What can you tell us about him? He was a comedian. And uh, so I don't think that people regard, I mean, his background in television is not maybe a, a strong suit of his in terms of politics, although he sells it as his strong point saying that uh, he's not going to make anyone cry and that he's going to work for Guatemala and so on and so forth. But what's interesting in his case is that at least in the last month or two, uh, he has gone from third place to second place in the polls. Uh, that's leaving Sandra Torres in, in a third position. And now is when people are discussing the different, uh, I mean, who is he associated to? So he's gone to great lengths to say that he's not uh, being supported by uh, retired military officials, which is what is usually said about him. And then I think in the case of Sandra Torres, the background of, of whatever allegations of corruption uh, 
people heard against her during the Colom administration uh, that ended in January of 2012 uh, is weighing or might weigh against her at, at this point. So Sandra Torres is the former first lady. She is the leader of the National Unity of Hope Party, which is more or less a left-wing party in, in Guatemala, been around for a while, which, as we know, Guatemalan parties tend to go and come sometimes just with one election and then they disappear. Is she running in an anti-corruption platform? I've been told that Morales has adopted an anti-corruption campaign as a centerpiece for his movement. Well, everybody's doing it, all the candidates. Because uh, especially after April when uh, the demonstration started in the main plaza against the vice president and or the former vice president and uh, President Perez, um, a lot of the candidates tried to take ownership uh, of the uh, plight against corruption um, that NGOs and, and the population in general were favoring. So... Uh, it's it's been some information that's been used by all of the candidates to um, attack the government and to try to link some of the candidates to the government, uh, so they will look or they will be looked at in a favorable light. The National Commission Against Impunity—that's a UN organization—and that has been very controversial there in Guatemala. Uh, the current president, I think, reluctantly renewed that organization as, as part of the system there. Uh, is that what's really driving a lot of this anti-corruption and having an effect, too, on this election? Absolutely. Absolutely. All of this would never have had happened if they weren't here. Uh, they are the ones who started the investigation on the, the um, illegal funding of political campaigns and corruptions in customs which is what led to Valdetti's or uh, former Vice President Valdetti's arrest. And uh, had they not released that investigation or the results of that investigation, then none of we wouldn't be talking at all at, about this. And uh, the big question is that the commission will stay uh, two more years, but the public ministry does not have same capacity to investigate. I mean, only this month, I mean, sorry, maybe last week, the head of the of the public ministry was saying that they weren't, they didn't have enough money to pay salaries in September. So that gives you an idea of how dependent the system is on the International Commission Against Impunity. Anything we haven't discussed regarding the elections that you think is important? The Human Rights Ombudsman's Office and other NGOs have identified at least 64 locations where uh, conflict is likely to occur due to different reasons, either uh, uh, quarrels between political uh, parties or attacks against the press or areas where there's a lot of crime activity. Uh, so uh, people are weary in all respects, but uh, the press in particular is uh, concerned about the, the security involved in, or the lack of security involved in covering elections. So let me just underline that 64 different polling places that if I go there, I, I risk violence against myself. Yes, um, but, but to be fair, in the elections in 2011, uh, 
Um, there was a lot of concern regarding several um, locations as well. And uh, the outcome was very different and low-key considering the expectations. But now with all of what's happened this year, uh, there is uh, a lot of concern regarding security issues uh, for the people in general, but also for journalists because the the attacks against the press have spiked considerably between last year and this year. So it, it will be something that people will be watching for. Well, we'll be watching too. Thank you so much. Independent journalist Julie Lopez of Plaza Publica and the author of Harare, Death in God's Neighborhood, joining us via Skype from Guatemala City, Guatemala today on Latin Pulse. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rick. If you'd like to read more about the political shifts in Guatemala, check out this week's AULA blog. You can find it at AULA blog, all one word, dot net. That's AULA blog dot net. Thanks for joining us on Latin Pulse this week. If you'd like to send us your suggestions or comments, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud, or you may write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. If you're looking for earlier editions of Latin Pulse, we're available in various locations on the web, including iTunes, Facebook, and Flipboard. You can also find us in the Brazilian online game, Minimundos. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs in Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, dot org, and then slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org slash Latin Pulse. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse. For our entire team, associate producer Natalie Ottinger and technical director Jim Singer, I'm Rick Rockwell. Escucha nosotros vez. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced at the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university, headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, with music copyright support through Webster University and Link TV. This program is copyright 2015 Las Rocas Productions.